Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. I reckon that there are two types of people in the world. There is the type that before going to a restaurant or a cafe uh, would have a look online at the menu just to find out, you know, what kind of foods uh, and options there are before getting to the restaurant. Anyone with me? This is me. Okay, maybe it's an age thing then. (laughs) Wow. Um, I thought there'd be more than that. But I'm the kind of person, right, if I know I'm going to a cafe for brunch or I'm having uh, dinner with some friends at a restaurant, I will hop online and I will read the menu. Then right, because not every smashed avo is the same, I will then jump on their social media profiles and just check out the images of the food. Anyone else do that? A couple of extras? Okay, great. I am the kind of person that really wants to make an informed decision. That's why I wanted to know the options for dinner tonight, right? I'm in the back of my head. I'm like chicken, uh, curry, taco bowls, which one am I going to have? But I like to make an informed decision, and it's for this reason. It's because I've had experiences where I have been sitting at a cafe or a restaurant and I have food envy, right? You know that moment where the waiter's brought over your meal and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, smashed avo, that's fine. Um, And then you see what the person that you're having uh, brunch with orders and it comes down in front of them and you're like, man, I wish I had have ordered that. Anyone experienced that before? Or you, are, you see, after you've given your order, you see the way to bring someone else's meal, even just to someone else in the restaurant, and you're like, I wish I was having what she's having, or I wish I had what he's having. And the reason I hop online and normally check out the menu, look through the images, is so I can make the most informed decision, because I hate having food envy. I hate that feeling of eating a meal, being completely discontent and dissatisfied because I want what he or she across the table from me or across the restaurant from me are having. I want what she's having. I want what he is having. It's this feeling of discontent and this dissatisfaction within me if I don't make the most informed choice. And you know, it's not just with the food that we select in a restaurant where I reckon we can experience some of that, I wish I had what he's having, or I wish I had what she's having, or I wish I had what he's got or she's got. There are so many areas in our life that we can experience this discontentment and this dissatisfaction. You know, maybe it's in the area of relationships. Maybe you're single and all you want right now is a boyfriend like that friend of yours from school. You know, maybe you are uh, in a relationship and all that you want is to be engaged because you're sick of just being boyfriend and girlfriend. You know, maybe it's a relationship within your family you know, that might be broken and all you want is to have that kind of mother, father, whatever relationship it is like someone else that you know. You know, it could be in the area of possessions. You want that house that someone else has or that car or someone got the new iPhone recently and all of a sudden you're really dissatisfied with the old version that you have because the camera really is not as good. 
you know, clothes, shoes, all these kind of things that we can possess. Or maybe it's in the area of circumstances, career. Maybe you are in school and you just saw these guys on stage and you're like, I really wish that that was me. I wish that I was at the stage where I was finishing my studies. I was a part of the year 12 celebrations. It happens with stages of life, with careers. You know, in today's society, this can be more rampant than ever because we are so surrounded by images and pictures and videos of all these things that other people have. We know when someone's bought a new house. We know when someone's in a new relationship. We know when someone's got the new iPhone because they've splashed it all over social media. And all of a sudden, what we have, we seem to be discontent with and we're longing for what someone else has got. It's this instant gratification world where we see uh, what someone else has and all of a sudden that is what we want. And we're going to have a look tonight at what the Bible has to say about this. We're going to wrap up our series on the Ten Commandments. Across this year, in all of our uh, 5 p.m. services, we have looked at them. We pulled uh, two together at the start. So over the last nine months, we have been unpacking commandment by commandment. And tonight, we're at number 10, the final one. And these commandments or principles are for life or instructions were given to Moses by God to give to the people of Israel as guides for how they should live their life. And as we've unpacked Uh, Since that happened, since the Israelites uh, received these rules, we have had Jesus and a whole lot uh, happens in God's word as we read through it. But there's actually something about these rules or these principles that each one of us uh, can be challenged by. And so tonight, I want to read uh, to you from Exodus chapter 20. This is where we can read all the Ten Commandments. If you have never heard of them before, I encourage you uh, to download the Bible app on your phone and to have a read of them. But we're going to just look at the 10th one tonight, and it's verse 17. It says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That's a verse. That's the uh, commandment that we are going to look at tonight. You shall not covet. What should we not covet? It finishes. It lists a whole bunch of things. But uh, it sums up by saying anything that belongs to your neighbor, anything that belongs to those around you. You shall not covet. So what does coveting mean? Because it's probably not a word that you or I are using in our vocabulary uh, each and every day. To covet means to seek to own what belongs to another person. It means wanting to take what belongs to another. It means never being happy with what you have, and it's the insatiable attempt to take what isn't yours. Now, here we see God giving these commandments to Moses to pass on to the people of Israel. And this final commandment, this one isn't about action or behavior. Instead, it's about thought. See, over the last few months, we've looked at some action or behavior-based commandments. 
We've looked at, you know, do not murder, do not steal, kind of all of uh, those ones that had behaviors associated with them. But coveting, on the other hand, is about our thought life. You know, God rounds out the commandments with an instruction on thought. And we know that it's thought that often leads to behavior. And so coveting can sometimes lead to the commandments prior. See, adultery often happens because someone is wanting someone else's spouse or partner or someone outside of their marriage. It comes from coveting that so much that they act upon it. Stealing is often the result of wanting something that you don't have, and so therefore you take it from someone else. This commandment of coveting, this final commandment that God gives to the people speaks to the thought that can often lead to the behaviors of the commandments in front of it. But tonight, I want to speak to this commandment, not with the assumption that there's something in this world that you want so much that you're going to commit one of the uh, previous um, or earlier commandments for. I don't believe that there's someone that, you know, you're going to commit murder for or uh, that you're going to steal something because you want it so much. But I believe that this thought and heart process around coveting is actually something that we've all experienced. This whole I want what she's having or I want what he's got is something that I believe that we may have all been challenged by. I know it's true in my own life. The amount of time I have spent wanting what someone else has got or longing for things that aren't mine, wanting the house that the neighbor's got next door or the car that's parked down the street or the friend with the new phone. Being in a season of life where all I wanted was a boyfriend, but then once I had that boyfriend, all I wanted was to be engaged, and then I got over that, and I wanted to be married, and, you know, the steps went on. I was never content in the season that I was in. I'm going to have a look quickly at James chapter 4, because he speaks to this idea of coveting. James chapter 4, it says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. It speaks to the behaviors that can come from coveting. It can go on to cause a whole lot of issues, but the root issue is a heart issue. It's a thought issue. It's our mind and our heart. And acting upon it can often lead to those behaviors, but I reckon there's many of us that have never felt it to that extreme, but have sat in the place of envy and jealousy, that have sat in the place of feeling discontent, of coveting and longing for something that our neighbor has so much that it's distracting us from what we do have. So if God instructs us not to covet, right? We've just read that in the commandment. God has instructed us not to covet. Then what does it look like to do the opposite? If we're not going to covet, what does it look like to do the opposite? The opposite of coveting is finding contentment. And being content can be defined as a state of peace and deep satisfaction. Peace and deep satisfaction, whatever your circumstances, relationships, or possessions. You know, when we are content with what we have, with where we are, with what we're doing, we're not longing for the things that others have. 
We're not coveting for the things that other people have. And Paul speaks to this topic of contentment in Philippians chapter 4. And uh, we're going to have a read of it tonight. And if some of you have been in church a while, we're going to have a look at a verse that you've probably seen, uh, you know, cross-stitch on your grandma's wall at home or maybe on a bookmark that you've bought from Kurong. But we're actually going to look at more than just that verse tonight because the paragraph or the passage above that speaks to this idea of contentment. And uh, Paul speaks to this in his letter to the church of Philippi. You know, he shares that he has learned the secret to contentment. Now, if someone knows the secret to contentment, we want to know it, right? Because being content seems like a pretty great place to be, a pretty great place uh, to live in. And uh, we are going to have a look at that passage tonight. So let's have a look. In uh, Philippians chapter 4, starting from verse 10, it says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, at the time Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison. Let's just think about that for a moment. This guy writing this letter about contentment, saying that he's learned what contentment is. He's learned the secret to contentment. He's had times where he's had plenty and times that he's been in need. He's had times where he's fed, times where he's hungry. But this guy is sitting in a prison cell. Now, if you are sitting in a prison cell, I can imagine that that's probably a time where you are feeling a little bit discontent about your life, probably coveting what someone down the road has, maybe some freedom. Yet here Paul is saying that he has learned the secret to contentment. You know, at the start of his letter, at the start of the, uh, the book of Philippians, which was a letter to the church of Philippi, he was thanking the people because what they had done is they had sent someone, they'd heard, they got word that uh, Paul was in prison, they'd sent someone with a gift for Paul and he was sending back a letter with this person just to say thank you for your gift appreciate it. But just so you know, there have been times in my life where things have been really hard. There's been times where I've had lots and where I haven't. But through it all, I have learned the secret to contentment. I can do all things. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul sent this letter back and it speaks to this idea of contentment. He wanted them to know that his imprisonments, his times of poverty are not hardships for him. They have actually become his greatest teachers, showing him that no matter his circumstances, he has learned the secret of contentment. And it is simple dependence on the one who strengthens him. You know, Paul was the master of giving a Christ-like perspective. He refused to find contentment in what he had. He refused to find it in the gift that he had been given by the Philippians. 
You know, Paul had become uh, content because he had learned to trust. He trusted God and he trusted God with his circumstances, with his possessions and with his relationships. He trusted God with his life. He wasn't comparing his triumphs or downfalls or his possessions or his circumstances to the person on his left or the person on his right. Instead, he was content with where he was and what he had. You know, the thing that I love about what Paul, or how Paul phrased it in this passage is that it says, I learned, I learned the secret of contentment. You know, it wasn't just something that he switched on one day and he's like, today I'm gonna be discontent and then he kind of, you know, tapped himself on the head and then the next day he was content. It wasn't just something that he switched on, it was something that he learned. Um, I have... On the, over the last four months, loved watching my daughter Zara learn new things. In fact, we were at the doctor the other day and the doctor said, what has she learned this week? You know, has anyone asked you that question? It's not normally a question that you open you know, a conversation with other adults about because uh, we're not really reflecting on what we learn all the time. But the truth is she is learning new things every week. And so it was a really good question from the doctor. And that week she had just learned to roll. We've been practicing uh, rolling. It's really riveting, um, really riveting stuff. Um, we, you know, I kind of tucked her arm under and then I kind of showed her, like I didn't show her how to do it by me doing it on the ground. That would be even more riveting. But I would like push her body over, watch all these, you know, YouTube videos from physios about how not to like, you know, hurt her. Um, anyway, so we practiced rolling both ways and it got to the point that I'd, you know, roll her over and then she'd just put her arms out and scream because she was over it. But on Friday, for the very first time, she learned to roll. I just put her down and all of a sudden she had rolled over. It was really exciting. And so when the doctor asked a few hours later, what has she learned this week? I was like, she learned to roll. But the thing is, it's not like she just woke up one day and all of a sudden was going to be, I'm going to roll. But in fact, over the last couple of weeks, she's learned to grab her feet. She's learned to move her body. And we've practiced rolling. It's something that she's learned. You know, the same thing's gonna happen once she starts sitting up and then crawling and standing and walking. These are all things that she's going to learn. It's a process. See, Paul learned the secret to contentment. And the word learn is actually translated from a Greek word that means to learn by use and practice, to acquire the habit of something. So if... We're instructed not to covet, and the opposite is to live in a place of contentment. And Paul speaks to this idea. He says, it's something that I learned. Isn't it something that you and I want to learn too? Wouldn't you like to learn to be content? Wouldn't you like to practice that daily so that it is something that you, a place that you can sit in to say, yes, I am content. I don't need to spend my time looking left and looking right at what everyone else has I don't need to waste my days scrolling and coveting for all these things that other people have. Instead, I'm gonna to learn to be content. I'm going to practice and create a habit of being content. So God instructs us, do not covet. The opposite means living in a place of contentment. But what is it, right, that lands us back over there? because it's a habit we need to learn, but there's something that happens to us. I know it happens to me every single day, I reckon. What is it that happens to us when we're in this place of contentment that means 
that we end up back over here coveting. It's comparison. Comparison can take us from a place of contentment to a place of coveting. We start looking what everyone else has. Start looking left. We start looking right. We focus on our neighbor's house and ox and donkey and you know, all the things that are, are listed. It's when our eyes are looking at what everyone else has got that the discontentment and the dissatisfaction grows and all of a sudden we go from this place of contentment to this place of coveting and longing for the things that we don't have so much that then we are discontent. It's a heart and a thought issue. You know, I uh, reckon that the uh, comparison trap um, hit a lot when I was a kid. Still hits now. But uh, as kids, we were only allowed soft drink on really special occasions. Anyone else's parents strict like mine? Again, only a couple. Okay, um, so lucky that the rest of you just got soft drink whenever you wanted. But my mom was worried about the dental bills. Um, and so we were only allowed soft drink on special occasions. And I would be really content, right? If say it was Christmas day and out brings, out mum brings, you know, the, uh, the cup of lemonade. And I'm like really content until I start comparing my cup to my sister's cup. And if she has a couple of milliliters more than me, all of a sudden, I'm really discontent with my cup of soft drink. Anyone else's siblings like that? Yeah, okay. It got to the point, right, that we would make such a ruckus that poor mum is just like, it's just lemonade, like you can either, either drink water for the rest of your life. But it got to the point that we'd complain so much that our strategy was to just line up the three cups on the kitchen bench and we'd all sit there like this and just watch and make sure that all the cups were equal. Because I was really content with my cup of soft drink until I started comparing it to someone else's or my sister's cup of soft drink. And I reckon that can happen to us in our life, right? We're really content with what we've got until we start looking left, we start looking right, and we start looking at what everyone else has got. And all of a sudden, we're not so content anymore with what we have because we're comparing it to what someone else has. You know, maybe it's that friend that got a boyfriend before you and all of a sudden you're really discontent being single. You were content five minutes ago, but now you're comparing their situation with your situation and that's what you're wanting. You know, maybe it's grades at school. You were totally fine with that B until that friend of yours got a B plus and all of a sudden your B feels like a D. You know, there's so many times that we get caught out comparing what we have with what someone else has. It happens in all areas of life. We get caught in this comparison trap. We move from a place of contentment to a place of coveting. You know, it consumes our thoughts. It consumes our heart. We get caught out looking left and right, looking at what our neighbor has and those around us. Here's the kicker, right? I reckon we can spend so much time looking left and looking right that we often forget that the season that we're in or the thing that we have is actually an answer to prayer that we prayed a while ago, but we forgot about it because that thing got old and we started wanting what other people have got. Now, I remember being in high school and all I wanted was to be in uni, right? Because you don't have to wear a uniform and the hours are more flexible and it just seemed more fun, right? And all I wanted was to go to uni. 
you know, you wait for that time to come, you get there, and you realize really quick, no offense to the grade 12s in the room, the uni's not all that it's cracked up to be. Okay, you have to continue to work hard. The hours might look different and you still get that big, long three-month holiday in the, uh, at the end of the year. But you kind of feel a bit discontent once you're at uni because all you want is to get a job in that field that maybe you're studying. That was my case, right? I studied, I finally finished school, got to uni and was just wanting to go back to school because I was studying education. All I wanted was to be the full-time teacher because they earned more than a uni student. Then I got to... Uh, my teaching career, and I realized how discontent I was there because I was longing for something else when I forgot that actually I was in a season that I had asked God for for a really long time. I was in a job that was an answer to prayer. See, this comparison trap, often if we're too busy looking out, we actually forget to thank God for the season that we're in, which is normally and occasionally and actually an answer to prayer that maybe we've prayed a long time ago. We don't even take the moment to celebrate and to thank God for where we are and what we have because we're too busy looking at what everyone else has. God has instructed us not to covet, which means rather than coveting, we need to do the opposite. We need to live content lives. And the comparison trap so often takes us from a place of contentment to a place of coveting, a place of longing for what he has or she has or what we don't have. And as Paul writes, the secret of contentment is not found in what we have or do not have. It's found in Jesus. Contentment isn't found when we have it all. Contentment is found in the one who gave it all. If we're gonna follow this commandment of not coveting, then we need to stop looking left and looking right. We need to stop comparing what we have to what our neighbor has, to what the person down the street has, to what the person at school has, to what the person sitting right next to us right now has. Instead, we need to focus our eyes on Jesus. We need to look up. We need to be grateful for what we have in our hands now. We need to find contentment in Jesus. We are never gonna be content if we are constantly caught in the comparison trap of looking right and looking left. Instead, we need to look up. We need to move away from a place of coveting to get out of that comparison cycle. We can find contentment in Jesus. Now, I wanna ask us three questions tonight. I'm gonna get the band up. I want to ask you three questions to reflect upon right now. Because I believe that I'm not the only one in this room that has struggled with the comparison trap, that's gone from a place of contentment to a place of coveting, that finds myself constantly wishing for a different season or for a, you know, a new possession or a new circumstance. I want to ask you these three questions. Where are you looking and what are you consuming? Where are you looking and what are you consuming? You know, are you busy looking left and right? Are you busy looking at what the person down the road from you has, at what the person next door to you has? You know, what are you consuming? Are you constantly on social media seeing targeted ad after targeted ad after targeted ad after, oh, friend got new iPhone, oh, friend got new this? 
You know, if we are spending so much of our day in that place, constantly looking at what everyone else has, then we're not gonna be learning the habit of being grateful for what we do have, of celebrating what we do have. So where are you looking and what are you consuming? Question number two, how are you stewarding what you do have? How are you stewarding what God has put in your hands, in your head and in your heart? You know, I, um, I um, in my last role, was the kids pastor at McKenzie and I had a big team of young adults. And I remember being really alarmed one day when it was a really normal conversation amongst these young adults, of which I was the really old one. Um, and they were just chatting about their afterpay debt. They were just chatting about this debt that they'd racked up of afterpay because like uh, the words of Ariana Grande, I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it. That was the lifestyle, right, that they were living. They saw these things, they didn't have the money, and, but they wanted them anyway. They wanted them so bad that they'd rack up this debt. And so they were having this conversation about how much money they owed on afterpay. I remember being really struck by that. Every time I see those ads come up for like Wallet Wizard or you probably don't see them because you're probably not watching free-to-air TV on the day when you're helping your daughter learn to roll. Um, But I see these things come up and it hurts my heart because I believe that we are in a society that is so caught up with consuming and wanting what we do not have, is so caught up in this idea of coveting, this place of discontentment and dissatisfaction that we're willing to rack up the debt to have it. We want it so bad, we don't care if we don't have the money in the bank, we get it anyway. I wanna ask you tonight, how are you stewarding what you have? What are you doing with what you do have to best uh, steward that, to best honour God with that? So where are you looking and what are you consuming? How are you stewarding what you do have? And thirdly, how are you celebrating what you have right now? Are you in a season of answered prayer? Have you got that thing that you had been asking God for a while ago and you realise right now, probably haven't even taken a moment to say thank you to God for that. How are you celebrating that? If we're going to learn contentment, if we're going to learn the habit of contentment, then we need to come before God and thank Him for what we do have. We need to practice gratitude as much as we hear that as a throwaway line. It's not. How can we be grateful for what we do have when we take our eyes off the left and the right? We actually look up. We look at what we do have. We look at the circumstance that we're in. How can we thank God for that? We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.